0: Turn to 1 Kings chapter 8. We're just going to be looking at a few verses this morning. We're still going through this dedication of the temple. And Solomon's dedication is a prayer. And so Solomon is in the middle of praying. And as he prays, he goes through lists of things that he would like to see the Lord accomplish related to the temple. They finished building it. It's big, it's grand, it's glorious. But that is not what Solomon's focus is on. Solomon's focus is on what God will accomplish with regard to this place, this temple. And so, so far we've, in this service already, seen some of the New Testament Passages that show us how this passage has been fulfilled. So let's read now from 1 Kings 8, just verses 41 through 43. Also, so this is picking up in the middle of Solomon's Prayer. Also concerning the foreigner who is not of your people Israel... When he comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name to fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house, which I have built, is called by your name. Now, here Solomon is praying about the foreigner. The foreigner is us. When we were reading earlier in the passage, I mean earlier in the service, we read from Romans. We read uh, from—I can't remember. We saw how God had answered the prayers of Solomon already. That there were, throughout the world, people who were not Israelites, but who were the Gentiles, the Greeks, as it said in the passage we read, one of the passages, who had heard, who knew, who the glory of God had been revealed to through God's people and through their worship. And remember that this is the temple. We can easily get bogged down in the reality of the physical building, right? But the temple was a place of worship. It was a temple, therefore it was for worship, right? Now that may sound obvious, but one of the things that Solomon prays here is also, I think, kind of funny because of how obvious it is. So... Verse uh, 43, the very end of what we read, that they may know that this house which I have built is called by your name. Now, why does he want them to know that the house, this temple, Is to be called by the name of God. Isn't it obvious that it's going to be called by the name of God? I mean, we don't think of the Temple of Zeus, the Temple of Diana, right, or any of the other temples that you might have seen or heard of. Have you ever thought of them without them being associated with the God that they're for? If if you haven't thought about it, think about it. It's a temple to the Lord. It's always going to be called a temple to the Lord, to Yahweh, the God of Israel. That's that temple. Whereas in the New Testament, in Ephesus, we read, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, right? Because they had a temple to Artemis there, right? Right? Why does Solomon feel the need to say that the goal here, part of the goal is that everybody would know that this temple is a temple to the Lord? It's obvious. It's a temple to the Lord. What do you mean? Why would you need to pray that? Well, I got to thinking about that. I got to wondering... Why is that so important? Is it possible that it wouldn't be known as the temple of the Lord? What ways might it happen that it would be known as something else? We've already seen in several of the sermons how the temple parallels and, and really is a model of the true temple of God, which is His people. Remember when God, through Jesus Christ, promises that wherever two or three are gathered together in his name, he will be there with them, among them. Wherever two or three are gathered. Why? Because we are his holy temple. Okay, so if we are His holy temple now, now think about this. Do we need to pray that all who are not followers of God, the foreigners, those who are not of God's people, okay, do we need to pray that they would know that this temple, here we are, we are gathered in the name of Jesus, that this temple... Is called by his name. To answer that, we just have to say what else this gathering could be known as. Right? Could this gathering be known as something else? The moment that you ask that question, you realize, of course, this gathering could be known as something else, right? We could be known as the people who are stuck up. We could be known as the people who are racist. We could be known as the people who are uh, a million different things, huh? You think of the Roman Catholic Church and what it has become known as. The place of abuse. That's really what it's known as in the world today. It's not known as the place of Jesus Christ. It's not known by the name of the Lord, right? Is it possible that this gathering, God's people, the temple, could be known as something else? Later on in the history of Israel, we read of even the temple having idols brought into it. Is it going to be known as the temple of the Lord when you're worshiping another god in it? No, nobody's going to care about God's name at that point, right? So if we are giving ourselves to idolatry as a body, we will not be known as the temple of the Lord. We won't be known by his name. What will happen then to the world, the watching world? So I'm working my way backwards through the text, right? (laughs) They'll hear. If there's a scandal, you know, that's the place where the pastor was sleeping with the secretary. That's the place where the assistant pastor was embezzling the building fund. That's the place where, right? And the world will know. The world will hear. But what will they not hear? Well, let's back up a verse. Verse 42, he says, For they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. They'll hear of that unless the temple is being used for other worship. Right? If the temple is being used for other worship, they'll hear of other things. In, this, in the prophet's... We read some of the woes that Israel faces. And, it, and, and they talk about how God's people and, and Jerusalem and the holy hill and even the temple have become known as a byword. A, a place where it's like, oh, don't look. Oh, let's walk by. Don't, don't look over there. It's terrible what happened over there. Instead of being known as a place where God had stretched out his hand and done marvelous things, Israel had become known as a place that had abandoned their God and disaster had come upon them. And we can back up earlier, we can think of Moses. Moses is leading the people of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. That's the the journey that they're on, right? And the Israelites aren't worshiping God. God says, I'll destroy them, and I'll make you a great nation, Moses. It's certainly what they deserved. But Moses prays. And he says, but God. What will the nations think? The foreigners. The people who are not your people. What will they think when you destroy your people? They'll think you weren't strong enough, God. You weren't strong enough to deliver them. They'll think that You brought them out here just to destroy them. Not because of your graciousness, not because of your loving kindness and your faithfulness. They'll think that you're capricious just like the Greek gods. Right? Have you studied the the Greek and Roman mythology of the Gods on Olympus, what you find is, you never know what they're going to do, right? I mean, they have their character, you know, you think Zeus, and you think, well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's probably going to sleep with somebody. Okay, yeah, fair enough. But he might just throw a lightning bolt, right, and kill somebody, too. He's he's capricious. You've always got to worry about what might happen with the gods and and them fighting with each other. And that's what the people have thought around the world about the gods. You know, we've got to pacify the gods somehow. Maybe the gods are the ancestors, animistic worship, right? Maybe the gods are... Uh, a, a uh, very pantheistic sort of universalism of all of all of the universe being a, a sort of God force or having connections to a God force, right? If you ever want to know what I'm talking about, just watch that movie with the blue people in it. Remember that? What was that called? Avatar, yeah, that one. Yeah, that's one, one way of thinking about how the gods have to be pacified, right? Okay, Moses, he knows what, what they think of the gods. He'd just come out of Egypt. Egypt had all these gods, right? All of the plagues were showing God's power over the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. You know, the sun god, right? And what happened? Darkness. Darkness. God is powerful. Ra is not, right? So, what, so then Moses is praying and he says, But God, what will the people think? What about the foreigners? And that's what Solomon's praying. He's he's praying the the same prayer from the the positive side, right? God, what will the people think? Let the people, let the people of the world know who you are. Let everybody know who you are. I was thinking about that this morning. And I was thinking about the, the, the goals. Now, hopefully sometime in the next month. I don't know. I, I want to I talk to you guys about small groups and the purposes of small groups and, and what the goals are. Because I've spent a lot of time over the years thinking about small groups, but I feel like I kind of had a, an epiphany with understanding how to talk about small groups. Part of it came from reading an article on uh, Christianity Today's website, smallgroups.com, believe it or not. It was a humbling moment for me. Um, Nevertheless, later on, Alex and I spent a couple of hours talking, and I got to writing on a whiteboard, and I realized you've you've got these levels of goals and if, if I were to ask you all, you've all been catechized well, I hope you might be able to answer, what is man's chief end? Or in the, oh, go ahead, you can answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Chief end. Now we've got to catechize on the catechism because we don't use that language anymore, right? Chief end means main purpose. What is man's main purpose? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But you notice that that's chief or or main end, right? There's going to be these sub-goals. All of them lead towards that main goal. They're not alternate goals because it is the chief goal. All of them build towards that main goal. But let's look at these, look at these verses again. <clears throat> Here's this first verse, 41. Concerning the foreigner who is not of your people Israel, when he comes from a far country for your name's sake... And we're going to come back to that, okay? So remember that. For your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm when he comes and prays toward this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name to fear you. There we had the goal. That's what Solomon is hoping will be accomplished, right? Let's read it again. In order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name to fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house which I have built is called by your name. You see, he, he adds on to this. What is his goal? What is the purpose of the temple as a whole? It's a God's name would be glorified. It's like asking, what is man's chief end? To glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? Now I'm losing my way. Uh... Oh, I wanted to back up. So, as I said, we're going to come back to that. First, for that first verse, for your name's sake. Why are people going to come? What? For His name's sake. That's sort of a weird thing. It it sounds like they're coming uh, because they want to worship God. Right? When they come from a far country for your name's sake. And in fact, that is part of why they will come. We read of the Ethiopian eunuch in the New Testament, and he has come from a far-off place to worship God in the temple. He's come from a far-off place. Now, if we want to go to a far-off place, let's think of Ethiopia. I've been to Ethiopia, so it'll, it'll do. It took uh, 17 hours, I think, to get there. I don't remember the details. It was a while. And how much do you think the ticket cost? Any guesses, kids? Liam's got a guess. Go for it. A lot. He nailed it. Score. Swish. It was a lot. People come from far off lands to visit someplace. They're willing to make a sacrifice to get there, aren't they? They pay a lot of money in order to get there. So why does somebody come from a far-off country to visit the temple? It says the reason why they're coming, for your name's sake. Like I said, it might be worship, right? But I think the next verse really opens it up a lot better than just the initial idea of what you, what you hear there. For they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. Okay, great name. Why is his name become great? It became great in the time of Solomon because God blessed his people and poured out wealth on them, right? Because they had victory over all their enemies. And so his mighty arm was displayed, right? His mighty hand. And what of this outstretched arm? What does that refer to? I'm going to make an adult answer. Somebody who knows. Where do we read of... uh, an outstretched arm in the Bible. What does God's outstretched arm accomplish? Oh, are you an adult? Go ahead, you can answer. Oh, when when Moses made the ten plagues come? When God made the ten plagues come, Was God's hand stretched out? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You can read of God's outstretched arm, and you can think of various things that that connects to. We certainly see his outstretched arm saving. We certainly see his outstretched arm grabbing the one that's about to fall. Right? You guys ever see a picture of a shepherd leaning over a cliff, grabbing the sheep with his outstretched hand, his outstretched arm. I saw a video of that one time. Way up on a mountain. Shepherds trying to free a sheep at its head stuck in a fence. Reaching down, pulling it out. In that video, he got the sheep out and then the sheep proceeded to fall down the mountain because it was scared, ran away. But God doesn't let go. When God reaches out with his outstretched arm and grabs, he saves. The sheep lived. It, ran, it hopped up and ran away. Don't worry, it's okay. It was a funny video, not a sad video. No thanks to the shepherd, though, right? <laughs> Dropping it. God doesn't reach out with his outstretched arm and then drop. He reaches out and he saves. But you know what else he reaches out with? He reaches out with the plagues, like Zeal said. He re- reaches out with a sword and destroys his enemies. Psalm 23, the rod and the staff, both are there in his outstretched hand. Now, what is the goal? The goal is they're going to hear about what God has done they're going to hear about the ways that he has been at work in his people. They're going to know what he has accomplished. They're going to see the discipline that he pours out on his people when they turn away from him. Later on in this very book. And when they see that, they'll see that God is powerful. They will see that his name is to be praised that His name is powerful. They're going to hear and they will begin to know that God is at work among his people. Now, fast forward again to the New Testament and you hear of Ananias and Sapphira. And that's shortly before the Ethiopian eunuch. Ananias and Sapphira were among God's people. Then God struck them down, and they died. And you know what it says happened after that? Everybody got fearful. Everybody got afraid. They were afraid to associate with God's people. They began to fear the name of the Lord. And we have that here. That all the peoples of the earth may know your name to fear you, as do your people Israel. So I said we were talking about goals, right? What is the goal? What is the purpose? That God's name would be feared. That his name would be feared. Not because he's capricious and you never know what he's going to do, but because he's holy. And you know exactly what he is. You know his character. You know that If you go there, you'll be praying to a God who hears and who acts. You know that if you gather with that people, God's people, that you will be among people who have been set apart, changed, made holy like He is holy. It won't be a temple that's known by some other God's name, that won't be known for its sin. It won't be known for anything except for the fear of the Lord is there and God is at work. And it will be seen. Everybody will know. If God is at work in us as a church body, the world will know. They will see, they will hear, they will recognize. God is doing something there. They worship God there. They don't gather because it's fun. They don't, they don't get together because it's the expectation. They're not a temple because they love themselves and they worship themselves. They're a temple because they are set apart to the Most High. And they're doing his work. And some will come. Even from a far off place, they will come. They'll be willing to make the sacrifice that it takes to make that journey, to come. Why? Because they know God is at work. And others will be afraid to associate with us. God's people. Why? Because God is holy. They've seen his outstretched arm. They know what it takes to give yourself to him. They know that's a sacrifice. They know it means giving up yourself, giving up your own desires, and instead living for him. They'll start to count that cost and they'll say, nah, that's a price I'm not willing to pay. I know there's a powerful God in Israel. I know that those who worship him, he will be with them. I'm just not so sure I want that God with me. So I said before, I was thinking about this this morning. What is the goal? That the world will know. Not just that God's people will know. The whole world will know. Some of you have seen the movie Newsies. There's a song and dance routine. There's lots of song and dance routines in that movie. There's a song in that movie that's about the whole world knowing. In that case, it's I don't even know what the whole world's supposed to know. The whole world's supposed to know that, you know, the man is getting me down. I think that's the, the gist of that song. Pulitzer and Hearst. The man, has there ever been, I, I mean, and frankly today, with mainstream media, I mean, Pulitzer and Hearst are back and worse than ever, right? They're holding, holding us down. we got to let the whole world know. And, and so we shout it on social media. We're going to let the whole world know. What does Solomon want the whole world to know? What are we going to be known by that the whole world may know that we won't be fooled again? The Who's coming back to Cincinnati? First time since 1970-something. Won't be fooled again. The whole world's going to know we won't be fooled again, right? Is that what we're going to want the whole world to know about us? What a stupid thing to let the world know. We could let them know that God is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent. That's what Solomon's goal is. And then the world will fear him. And look at you. You are all the foreigners that he was talking about. That's us. We're not Jews. God has answered his prayer. And he'll answer his prayer again if we pray it. Let the world know, God. They're going to they're hear of your work. They're going to hear of your mighty deeds. They're going to hear of what you have accomplished among your people. Let the world know. And then, Father, when they pray to you, Answer their prayer. And when the world knows what God is doing, when the world knows who God is, when the world knows what he is accomplishing among his people, what is their prayer going to be? Save, O Lord. Be merciful, O Lord. Help, O Lord. And has he ever said no? Will he turn away the bruised reed? Will he break it? All you have to do is say, God, please save. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Save your people. And may the watching world see, and may they come to this temple to worship at your holy hill, to call out to your name, Lord, save. Father, we desire, along with All your saints down through the ages, that your name would be glorified in our lives. That this gathering, this temple, set apart to the worship of you, Father, would be used for the worship of you. That it would not be known by our hobbies, that it would not be known by our idols but that it would be known by the name of the Lord and that we, your people, and that all of the world would fear you. So, Father, we do pray that you would help us, help us to truly worship you, that we would not grow distracted by the cares of this world, that we would not be focused on what we can get in terms of enjoyment or in terms of benefit from gathering with your people, Father, but that we would be focused on your name being magnified. And Father, we do pray that you would help us to speak to the world without fear, calling them to come into your presence and worship you.